This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Later in the podcast, we will be reviewing the Star Trek Discovery episode, All is Possible. But as always, we will start with some news. And we have a little bit of speculative news from Alex Kurtzman about his plans for the Star Trek universe. First of all, I think he's exhausted. He must be because, so this is a podcast interview with Deadline. At one point they asked him, what's the next thing to come after Discovery? And he said, there's so many Star Trek things going on. I I get them mixed up, which is either funny or frightening, depending on your point of view. Well, I don't think he gets the shows mixed up. I think he just gets the dates mixed up. And he's working on other non-Star Trek projects as well. Yeah. So I I can see why the air schedule might not be front and center in his mind. But it is official, at least from Paramount Plus, that Picard will arrive in February um, and Prodigy will, will return in right. January. That that might have been throwing him because he couldn't remember, you know, when the hiatus was over or whatever. Um, and, but anyway, the, the point was they were talking about, oh, there's all these Star Trek shows. He was asked... You know, well, you know, what's you know, tell us what's the big plan? He really wouldn't get into that um, on you know the grand scheme and what are the future shows. And we'll talk a little bit about one of those later. But they they asked him about crossovers because when you have a universe of television shows uh, like the Arrowverse is most famous for this, uh, but obviously the MCU, which also exists on television, has they do crossovers. And he said, Even "Law and he, Order does crossovers, <laughs> right? You know, and the all the various Chicago shows do crossovers, <laughs> right? It's a popular thing." And he said he's been thinking about it, but he, you know, he can't say, "Well, this, you know, we're we're going to do this or that." So, don't expect any crossovers for season four of Discovery, or likely even season two or three of Picard, because those are kind of two's in the can and they're shooting three now so it's kind of a little late for either and the time periods can make things a little tricky like i think there are other plate like i feel like strange new worlds will be able to see some of the people who were previously on discovery perhaps maybe so that's what you know he said he feels it's quote inevitable but he's kind of it's you know both excited and nervous about doing it you know, and um, but he does feel like it's going to happen. They just kind of haven't figured out how to do it. But he says it is fun to kind of think about pairings of certain characters or certain crews. So we should expect a crossover in a future season. To your point, I mean, the difference because all the Chicago shows, et cetera, you know, these are all set in the same time period. Right. And, and, and they had the same advantage in the 90s with all the Star Trek shows, because they all had crossovers. Mm-hmm. Even Enterprise had one uh, using the holodeck. <laughs> that nobody likes to think about. But it's easy to, you know, ha- have one of these characters show up on the other shows when they're all set in the same time period. And that just isn't the case anymore. I mean, they're centuries, if not, uh, you know, or decades apart. I think we're really talking about the three live action shows here. Because... Although we could see crossover with animated shows, <laughs> of any two shows, those are the two shows that are within like five years of each other, right? So they're very close to each other. You mean Picard and Lower Decks? Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. Lower Decks and Prodigy. Oh, the oh, crossing over with the two animated shows between them. Yes. 
I'm see, I, my brain went farther, and I'm thinking about animated and live action people. That's a good possibility. I, I mean, in a way, I feel like Lower Decks and Prodigy will would never cross over, though, even though they're close in time. So, of they're any so, crossover, they're different I, in tone and intention. So, yeah. I think that that would make it tricky. Exactly, but yeah, I could see a live action crossover from you know uh you could have like boimler show up in picard or something like that an older boimler you know played by jack but i think strange new worlds is where you have the biggest possibility for crossovers Mm -hmm. it is kind of a crossover with discovery obviously because it's a spin-off in a way although it is yeah even though it's really a spin-off of the cage you know but uh but it but it's a spinoff of discovery because this is even a reimagining of the characters themselves season five of discovery if it exists and strange new world season two i think would be a possibility the thing about picard is we're kind of assuming it's going to wrap up with season three so you're running out of time to do a crossover right although i i, I think it'd be great to get picard and michael together I mean, time period wise, I don't know how you can swing. Well, it's got to be it's got to be time travel. No matter what, it's got to be right. time travel. Right. But I mean, they're also even after Picard wraps, you can have characters from Picard show up on other shows. Yes, but and I th- he mentioned this. You want it to move both shows forward. That's exactly right. what he said. Well, and like so, a big event. You want to make a big event out of it for sure. It isn't just someone showing up on another show as if it was 20 you know or centuries after their show wrapped up it would whatever they're doing on the other show has an impact on their show like we see in the arrowverse every show is dealing with the same problem so yeah so it has to be time travel i mean there's another way to do it which is there's some kind of event that's affecting time in multiple time periods that Therefore, multiple shows have to deal with in their own time period, but they never interact with each other. But, but then you're kinda... sort of recreating the TNG series finale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. you lose the whole fun of a crossover, which is you never get a scene with Picard and Captain Burnham and, you know, you know, or Saru and, well, Saru knows Captain Pike already, but you you know what I mean. So... Saru and anybody would be fun. I, yeah. What I want, I want a musical crossover like my favorite episode of The Flash and Supergirl. <laughs> Expect crossovers. We're just speculating. We have no idea. But right. We're just Kurtzman, having fun guessing. Kurtzman says, you know, it's going to happen sometime. Well, the other thing he talked about was this mystery Section 31 show that comes seems to come and go. But he says we're in a very exciting place about that show. He says it's very much alive. He said something very similar or said he was optimistic earlier in the year. This was announced almost three years ago. In January, it will be three years since the show was initially that said, yes, we did have a pandemic, but something has held up the show. I think there's actually two things that have held up the show. I think at first they weren't you know, necessarily able to nail what the show is. But they certainly spent a lot of time in season three of Discovery of setting up the show. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have done that if they didn't have a high level of confidence that it was going to happen. Because they spent a lot of time and money on on reforming, quote unquote, Giorgio. Or at least saying they did. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I feel like part of the reason that this show may have been delayed. Now, this is getting into speculation. This may be tinfoil hat, but hear me out. I love a good tinfoil hat. Bring it on. This is actually going to segue into our next topic. Um, Is I think that the the thing, the, the negotiations with Netflix that caused Discovery to be suddenly removed from Netflix a few weeks ago was to do with spinoffs. And, and this is why I, I mentioned earlier that strange new worlds technically isn't a discovery spinoff in a legal point of view, in a WGA point of view, because the main characters are actually created by Gene Roddenberry back in 1965 or 64, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So because Netflix owns the international rights, or at least a first, first option on international rights of any discovery spinoff, and any George O show is definitely a spinoff of Discovery. So you can't do that show without Netflix having an option. And the way things are going with Viacom CBS is they are no longer want to be in the business of licensing to third parties, even internationally. Right. So, and in fact, another story we have on the site is from the CEO of Viacom CBS, he was at an investors conference. Someone asked him about licensing revenue, which is a major part of their, you know, when you go down the line items every year of their revenue, licensing to third parties is a big part of the revenue of the corporation. And the CEO said, it's just, it's going to be less and less because we're going to be doing less and less of it. And then he just, out of the blue brought up, by the way, a good example of this is what we just did with Star Trek Discovery. Right. No one asked him about it. He brought it up and he said, you know, we're taking it back. It's a global franchise. We own all of it now. And that's where it makes a lot of sense to think about a Michelle Yeoh show because she is a global star. Exactly. So it makes sense that that's something that they don't want to just have half belonging to somebody else or partially belonging to somebody else because they obviously think this has real potential. Of course, one of the issues is, so as of now, Paramount Plus exists in North America and South America, Australia, and a few countries in Europe, very few, just the Scandinavian countries. But by next year, it'll be all over Europe by 2022. And they just announced this week that they're going to make their first foray into Asia um, in South Korea in 2022 and with more to come. But, you know, you're still missing India, China, Japan. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of Asia in Asia. Yeah, and those are big markets. Malaysia, Michelle Yeoh's home country. Yeah. So maybe, and so this is, I'm really putting the tinfoil hat on here. Maybe (laughs) they're waiting until 2023 when... Paramount Plus is going to exist in Asia or 2024 even because you know you'd be hard pressed to get a show on the air by 2023 at this point well she's and she's been working nonstop. Michelle Yeoh's been really really busy working nonstop. yeah she was just in a Marvel movie she just wrapped up the Witcher series she's in some other independent movie she's all over the place she's Um, all over the place and I also think that there was I think there was a shift in the idea you know, the pandemic hit and sort of the mood changed. And I feel like that also would have slowed things down, even though all of these other factors are actually bigger. But I feel like 
even though everyone kind of poo-poos and said, ah, you announced this thing three years ago, it doesn't exist. They haven't given up on it. Nope. And so I think it does exist. I used to dismiss this, but I'm now a believer. I believe in Section 31. I, mean, I think I it exists. I was hoping it didn't. Only not not hoping a Michelle Yeoh show doesn't exist, but I just to me Section Thirty One is not what I like about Star Trek, and I felt that way back in the day when it first showed up. Like it's just to me doesn't feel like Star Trek to me, even though obviously it is Star Trek. It was on Star Trek. It was on a couple of series, but it's to me the wrong the wrong way to go. Okay, well, that's a longer discussion um, <laughs> to have. We actually did a shuttle pod episode, um, which you weren't part of, but I joined in the shuttle pod guys to talk about section. 30. I like section thirty one. I thought it fit very well into DS nine. But let's not call it the section thirty one show. Let's call it the Michelle Yeoh is Giorgio, and she has adventures, and there's <laughs> espionage, and she kicks people, and that that's the show. And right, I'm guessing that show will exist in 2024. Yep. You know, she wants to do it. So she wants to do it. They want to do it. There's definitely an audience for it. The only other thing the uh, CEO of Viacom CBS said is he mentioned that season four of Star Trek Discovery has had their biggest signups of any season so far. And November it overall was the best month ever for Paramount Plus, although there's a lot going on in November. They have they've launched other shows, so they're not saying it's because of Discovery. But he said that they're happy with Star Trek Discovery with season four, which begs the question of why haven't they announced season five yet? Because we're kind of around the time where they usually do that. Mm -hmm. And even when they don't do it officially, we, you know, we kind of already know it's happening. Kind of like, you know, they announced season three of Picard months after it was apparent. Same with season four of Discovery. Because they had already set up a writer's room. By the, right. You know, so, you know, so, whereas there's no hint that they're already writing. They might be. But it certainly hasn't leaked out yet. That no, we tried. Five. We tried to find out. <laughs> you know, so we don't know what's going on. It could be, you know, maybe it ends with season four and they do spinoffs. You know, because I think the Section 31 show isn't the only spinoff that they may have wanted to buy back from Netflix. Alex also recently talked about an Academy show. If they're going to do Academy show, it could very easily be in the 32nd century and they could be using elements of season four to set up that show. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to some Star Trek celebrity news. My friend, William Shatner. I like to call him <laughs> my friend because um, we're both Canadian Jews, but um <laughs> So uh, we were all very excited watching him go into space recently, and the documentary that he's been hinting at was finally announced. So it's going to be called Shatner in Space, of course, um, and it's, <laughs> it'll be on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, of course. I mean, it's... Yeah, again, of Jeff, course. <laughs> it's like, where else would it be? It's Jeff Bezos's, you know, rocket. This isn't, a, by the way, this isn't a Shatner documentary. I mean, it's called Shatner in Space. This is a Blue Origin. Yes. Je Jeff Bezos, aren't I amazing? I, I, I'm sending Captain Kirk into space documentary. And obviously. I'm friends with Captain Kirk. <laughs> right. So they're probably not going to show the moment when Jeff Bezos was like screaming and yelling and, and, and whooping it up with the other people. And Shatner basically told him to shut up. Right. Get rid of the champagne. I want to have a conversation. 
yeah, they're gonna they're gonna edit that around that. I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, we've all watched it, and we can watch it again right now. <laughs> I just want to see what they had to put him through, both in the training and the prep and the testing. And was it ever a question of if he could go? Because they were, you know, it was rumored for a while, and and. I think there was kind of a canny or canty at 90 years question mark until they finally announced that he was going. So that's because they knew he was William Shatner, but they forgot he was Captain Kirk. Documentary is going to be in the USA, Canada, Australia, the UK and New Zealand on December 15th and uh, elsewhere on Amazon Prime Video in 2022. We should have some clips or trailer next week. Um, So that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, I loved watching it live. That was a very exciting day, and it put me in a really good mood. So I imagine this will have the same effect. Another milestone for a member of the original series cast happened last weekend, and that is Nichelle Nichols had her final convention appearance at LA Comic Con. They had kind of a separate Nichelle Nichols farewell convention within the LA Comic Con. There was going to be this farewell convention in 2020, but because of the COVID that never happened. So this kind of became that. A lot of people who knew her, and it was more of a, a tribute to her. She didn't do a panel per se. She appeared at a, a tribute to her where they gave her a NASA award. Mae Jemison was there, you know, and Nichelle thanked people and, you know, um, but, you know, she's in a wheelchair now, although she did get up a little bit. She, she got up on the dance floor. Yeah, that was at a we party the night before. Christine from our team was was at the party. So she was posting pictures um, on our feed and also just giving us highlights as it was happening. Um, Sonequa Martin-Green sent in a video just saying, you know, how she stands on Nichelle's shoulders. You know, nice thing. Rod Roddenberry sent in a video. Walter Koenig was supposed to be there, but he had a health issue and couldn't show up. So, um, Nichelle Nichols suffered a stroke a few years ago. She's in a protracted conservatorship battle because she has dementia, you know, so her health is failing. She really can't do convention. I'm surprised she did events in the last few years. Although, you know, it looked like she was loving it. So that's I'm glad, true. I'm glad she got to do it. And it's, you know, I, I think she has to take it easy because of her health and she has and all of that. But I also think, you know, I have a grandmother who's 102 and she's going out for dinner and sitting inside at restaurants and doing all those things because she's like, what am I going to do? Sit in my apartment? So <laughs> so I think there's a point at which we like to think people maybe don't want to do anything, but maybe they still do. So we're going to start talking about Discovery now, including a little bit stuff of season four. So if you don't want any spoilers, we're giving you the black alert uh, (laughs) as we transition to a little bit of Discovery news. Not much, but a tiny bit of Discovery news. It's sort of a it's sort of a confirmation. You know, we've all been looking for Jet Reno, Tegnataro. So and then we've had talk that, oh, she shot a bunch of scenes that they're going to sort of sprinkle throughout and we've been waiting for it. So we just have some verification from the showrunner, Michelle Paradise, who said, yes, you're going to see her soon. We would use more of her if we could. She always has a limited time. So what we do is we we clump her work together, which we already knew, and then they sprinkle it throughout the episodes. So she says there will be a lot of her more than you think. And it's coming up soon. Very soon, she said. Although it's not in the, she said in the first half of the season, 
will be the first time we see her. So we're in episode four now, if it's 13 episodes, that's within the next three. Um, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, but we miss her. We want to bring her back. <laughs> Even though they're inserting her, it's not all green screen weirdness. Anthony Rapp has talked about doing scenes with her. And Blue DeBario said that they have a scene uh, with um, Adira and what they described as a little thing. So, <laughs> But yeah, it's not, they didn't wait till production was wrapped and then do stuff with her. They brought her in while they were still shooting. I mean, I still think they could have done some of that, some of that as well. Just, you know, the, 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 the Carlton, the doorman kind of stuff, you know, just calling down yeah. engineering and. Just because it would have made sense in episode one for them to be talking, you know, for the captain to be talking to Reno, not Stamets. Uh, But we've talked about that. So let's not beat that dead horse again. Right. Well, they could have even (laughs) said, oh, Reno says to go here and do this. (laughs) Right. At least. Yeah, that's the other thing. Just (laughs) pretend that she's on the ship. Yeah. Just say something (laughs) like she's there. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about All is Possible, episode four of season four. Do you have anything to say at a high level about this episode? Sure. I <laughs> It was my least favorite one of the season so far. And it felt, I, I kept thinking, it felt like a checklist. Like, we have to make sure these things happen. So we go down the list. And as a result, it felt to me mostly a very unsubtle, like, let's make sure that everybody gets what we're doing here. It was it was heavy handed. I thought that some of the character stuff didn't work as well. There were still some very, very nice moments. Um, and I thought Culber was a standout for me in this one. But I, it just didn't I didn't really connect with it. And they just tried to hit everything on the head like 50 times to make sure that you got it. In a weird way, I don't disagree with anything you said, except that I liked it more than you did. And it was very much like the previous episode where there's there's multiple storylines going on and they're spinning plates and it's they're not very connected, if connected at all. Um, but in a way, I, I felt like this episode worked better than the previous episode, oh. even though there were things heavy handed. You know, and I think it's probably because I liked one of the storylines more than you did. I, I so the three storylines we have is Tilly goes on the mission with Adira, Michael and Saru go to Navarre or stay on Navarre because they had never left from the previous episode to deal with politics, and then kind of a sea story with Book and Culber. I liked the Navarre politics story. I liked it a lot, in fact, and so that kind of was a saving grace. I felt the the Tilly shuttlecraft episode you know i mean it's a great star trek setup you crash a shuttle on a planet we've seen this before um so it's kind of a classic and they played a lot of the classic beats but i agree that part did get a little heavy-handed even though it had some great (laughs) mary wiseman stuff in there for sure well it had great mary wiseman stuff and i love her um but i did find that there were moments where it was almost she was almost like um, Leslie Nope a little bit. Like there were these moments where she said things that felt like comedy and it made me think, oh, I would love to see her in a comedy show. Like because she's really good at it, but it just didn't, it, I, did, I didn't think that the, the Academy students were compelling or smart. <laughs> 
And I felt like, and I love, I love me some Tilly, but there were just moments again that just felt like, oh, let's make, you know, again, just hitting you over the head. I mean, one simple thing I think that would have improved that would be to have the reason why the shuttle crashed due to the anomaly for, you know, they could have just to at, at least like tangentially relate it to the season. Cause at the beginning and they're like, well, the anomaly's still out there, but you know, it's not really bothering anyone this week. So, you know, we're not too worried about it. So we're going right. to take Stamets another week off. Stamets is worried about it, but nobody else is. <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> mean, they literally. Stamets, Stamets was in like, he didn't even speak. He has one scene where he's just looking and looking frustrated. And then he hugs Tilly at the end. That was- I'm fine with that. Cause you don't need to give every character something in every episode. And I feel like changing subjects to the book storyline that could have been done in one scene. They, I think they spent way too much time on the book and Culber stuff and they didn't give enough time to the Navarre storyline or the shuttle plant. I think they should have stuck with an A and the B and given a thin C story. They, they're just trying to do too much at once. So let there be whole episodes where you do very little, if not anything at all with the character. Um, Cause now, now we have three episodes in a row with book and his grief, right? It was mm-hmm. the a story in two Oh in four Oh two. And now he, he gets two B stories in a row or, he, or he's gone ABC, I guess. <laughs> Don't you think they could have done that whole storyline a little faster with maybe one or two scenes. Yeah. I don't think they needed all those scenes. Although again, I I've enjoyed Wilson Cruz in this episode a lot. Um, I just had so many times that as I was watching, I was like, Oh, you're so good. Little Ricky from my so-called life would be so proud. Um, But, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. And the, actually the one thing I did like was that we got a little hint that that something's going on with Culber too, that he has a sadness, which might go back to when he, died for a while i don't know but that he's not ready to talk about but i agree that that was stretched out and i have a sort of theory i was trying to explain it to you over slack one day and i wasn't explaining it well but i think that the mindset of the writers because of covid because they're thinking about production and they're just sort of living isolated lives themselves i think that they wrote a lot of this show to happen in sort of smaller isolated groups it's yeah, I mean that's possible. I feel like that that feeling went whether they did it for production reasons or they just did it because that's kind of their their headspace writing during all of this time. But I do feel like we have more pockets than we usually have of stories that don't crisscross that much. Right. Two handers as they call them in the business. Yes. Yes. Book was a two hander in four oh two with Stamets, now he gets one with Culber. I mean, the thing with him and Stamets was that that story was actually very integrated into everything else that was going on. So even though they were physically separate, there was all this conversation happening at the same time and it was all tied into the same thing. That's still why I think 402 is the best episode of the season is they're they're able to bring these things together instead of saying, okay, here's a grief story over here and here's a thing over here. And they're not. That's what this episode felt like to me was here's this story, here's this story, and here's this story. Right. And and the Tilly story we've been getting since episode 401 is this is all part of a Tilly arc. 
where we see her leave the ship at the end of this episode. And now it all sort of makes sense. If you look at 401, she is looking longingly at the cadets and it's the beginning of her falling in love with Starfleet Academy. I think she mentioned them again in the last episode as well, right? In 403, where she said, you know, remember when I saw those cadets and as you were saying, it seems like they had a job to do and they were doing it with her storyline. Yes. Here. But they couldn't find a way to weave it into any other story. Which is also the problem with the D story, which we haven't mentioned, which is that Gray is still just hanging around with Adira. I don't even consider that a story. Gray is like <laughs> talking about doing things with people, but we don't get to see any of the doing things with people. And still, like the whole problem with Ghost Boyfriend story was that it was the separate thing. And now it's still separate. I think Adira is great in this episode. I loved Adira in this Adira's episode. Adira great. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought some of the Adira gray banter was kind of cute, which was the first time I've thought so. But Because Adira and gray are now interacting like people, yes. <laughs> like a couple would. Like a couple, yes, yes. You know, and at that... the beginning, this is all over one day, which I think is interesting. So they're, they're all going to work in the morning, right? And they're coming home at the end of night. And we saw, because the, the episode is bookended with these montages of, of, it's kind of a day in the life of all of these characters. And so I was fine with all the Adira and Grey stuff, both at the beginning and the end, but I don't really consider that a storyline as much as just bookending Adira's you know, long, hard day of dealing with aliens. And I think they're finally giving you what you wanted. It's subtle, but it's happening, which is now that Adira is no longer constantly dealing with the ghost boyfriend, we're getting a lot of more trillness. There were multiple mentions of past hosts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost like they remembered Adira is a trill host, not a trill themselves. So Adira said, I've lived enough lies to know this could be worse, right? That kind of jaded stuff you'd get from Jadzia sometimes, right? Right. And they're drawing on their experience. This one was an instructor at the academy, you know, that kind of stuff, which is fine. It's not as much as I want, but I'll take, I'll take the scraps. (laughs) I'll take what I can get. (laughs) I think it's great. I I think it's working. I think Adira has a nice arc in this episode because Adira's issue is being able to connect with people and which gray is great at, and they are terrible at. They're just very smart. There's a great moment. I mean, another good blue moment, but Adira says, I'm sorry. Have you met me? I can't have soup without scanning it first. And I just loved, I'm sorry. Have you met me? Like, it was so good. I mean, the thing with the, the, the trill part of it that I want to see is I was really interested in Adira adjusting to having these other, you know, sort of beings, personalities inside, which I guess is not going to be much of a thing. But I do like calling up the the personalities and remembering that these things have happened and using that experience. If I can talk about Jedzia for a minute, one of the things that I loved about that character was, you know, that she was a 28-year-old woman at the beginning of the show. And the idea was that she was 300 years old, that she'd lived all this. And she carried herself as someone who has lived many, many experiences with a confidence all the time. And that is also because she prepped and wanted to be a host. And so Adira didn't prep and didn't want to do it and suddenly has to. I mean, sort of like Esri, right? Wasn't Esri's thing was that she wasn't interested in being a host? 
Right. She was on the ship and, and yes. it was an emergency. And yeah, so she, yeah, I mean, it's not that she wasn't willing, but she certainly never went through the whole program to right. be Right. It wasn't on her to-do list. And so I guess, yeah, maybe these, maybe there's a connection between, I should be looking more at Esri than Jadzia when I'm trying to get to the, the trillness of Adira. It's a better fit. Yeah, it is. It is. But let's talk about Adira with all those cadets and Tilly. So the the whole premise was that Tilly was chosen to help cadets connect with each other. So if if there's a theme in this episode, it's about people connecting. And I do like how they're reminding us that the 32nd century is very different. It's not just another century with more Starfleet and Star Trek and ships. It's because of the burn, it's a profoundly different society. And we got a lot of that with the other storyline as well. And these people aren't used to talking to aliens, you know, which is a, you know, kind of commonplace even by the 23rd century. And that's why they felt that Tilly could help. And I think that's a, it's an interesting aspect. And I think in a way it's kind of a theme in each of these 23rd century people show up in the 32nd century and they have a more optimistic, open point of view than some of these 32nd century characters, including Adira. Right. I think something you brought up though, was that these cadets, it's understandable that they didn't get along with each other, but did they really feel like the best and the brightest of their systems? (laughs) No. No. Because Adira does. Adira feels like the best and the brightest. Yes. But just bad at connecting with people. And not super smart and not particularly creative thinkers and not doers, not people who are jumping up saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, which is always how we think of our Starfleet Academy people. They were all there to facilitate the Tilly story. Right. The Tilly team builder bringing them together story. So, you know, they were all at best one dimensional and we, di- we didn't get to see one of them actually rise up to the occasion and, you know, really come up with a solution or any, any of that kind of stuff. Um, because Tilly and Adira, it was really more about them having their arcs. And these characters were there basically to be moved around on the, on the board and so that they could prove their points. Um, You know, we, we get a little bit of world building about, you know, the Emerald chain and how bad they were. And one of the cadets was essentially the Abraham Lincoln of the Emerald chain or something like that. It's kind of unclear, but his dad, you know, emancipated the slaves, but then was put in prison or something. And for some reason that was the thing that got them all to finally talk to each other. Yeah, and it was just so over the top, like, because my parents were too weak from giving me their food. And I was like, oh my, like, just, again, like, completely unsubtle in any way. It would have been so much more interesting if it wasn't quite so, I don't know, like a cliche. Well, especially because the way they timed it, so they have this team building exercise. It was kind of a... You know, where they had to all pull together on the rope. Everyone needs to yeah, pull together. literally, like, oh. Then immediately the Tellarite goes full on racist and starts talking about how, you know, the, about the Orion. Like, literally the next moment. So the team building, they made it seem like it didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. One thing I was grateful for was how one of the 
cadet said this is a simulation right because i thought it was so I, I think most yeah. people watching will think well this is obviously a simulation um especially you know not just because of the episode with uh, wesley where there's sure. the fire and it was all fake but just because it just kind of looked fake you know they're in this little shuttle it looked like a simulator so i'm glad someone had to say and you know until he said no this is real that guy's yeah. really dead that guy's dead that's blood yeah, we hardly got to know him. I know. Um, I'm like, I don't even think he spoke. <laughs> I think he said something like, you know, entering atmosphere, anxiety, you know, something like that. Sure. <laughs> so there was a lot of good moments, but then there was just a lot of weird, like, I didn't understand the whole rope pulling thing of why didn't they just walk over to Adira? Matt suggested, which I think is smart, said maybe it was that weird parasitic ice. Because oh, they could have yeah. just walked over and just kind of chopped on it. I know it seemed. To, it's <laughs> no. I felt like they were. I felt like they were nervous about going closer that it would happen to them because Tilly had sort of had her eye on that, and they but couldn't. Why? Use it. And why did lightning create creeping yeah. ice? It yeah. just. It just didn't make. And it. You know, it was kind of like a old fashioned movie where someone's stuck in quicksand. You know, so but the whole <laughs> point was. They wanted to have everyone have to grab onto the rope. Yeah. And that and was pull, really the point. Literally pull together. That was fine. I just didn't understand why they needed to do that, but I, I get why they did it. Right. I guess the question is, do you feel that the experience, watching Tilly go through this experience, explains why she would want to leave the ship? No. If I have to be honest. I mean, I'm very pro-teaching. I don't have any negatives about t my sister's a teacher. Um, but it just, for Tilly, who always, I, I could see her wanting to go just be on a different ship or a small ship or a specific mission. But somehow teaching at the academy doesn't didn't feel like a natural fit to me. And the whole, like having Kovich and Tilly have this weird conversation like, wow, if people can't even work together, then that's about the future of Starfleet. Like, I don't know. It's just, I really like this show, but this conversation just killed me. What it feels like to me is because at the beginning, she's like, well, maybe I should try my hand in astrometrics or, you know, switch to medicine. You like medicine. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. She's completely unmoored by the beginning of this episode. She doesn't know what she wants to do. But I did like how. They brought it back to her mother because she definitely has mother issues. And we saw that with her little short treks where we got to finally meet mom. But mom is an oppressive figure in Tilly's life. Mm -hmm. And she basically admitted the whole reason she's done everything is because her mom. Everything she's done is somehow related to someone who's been dead for 900 years. Right. She's never going to have that moment where, see, mom, I did this. Right. So she's finally deciding. I'm going to do something for myself. And, you know, when she had the experience of being a captain, she, you know, people died, they lost the ship. She didn't like that. Right. And so I liked when she said, when I became a lieutenant, it was the worst day of my life. Yeah, me too. I think that this, that all worked with her saying, and the mission on the planet, even though it had weird things, the cadets were super annoying, was that. She saw that she made a difference. So that worked for me. That sold me is that she did something. It worked. And she feels that she and her 23rd century bubbly, in her words, optimism. I did like that where she said, some people would even call me bubbly. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, 
that she could make a difference at Starfleet Academy. It just, it felt forced to me. It just felt forced. And as an actress, she's so natural and so good. So maybe that's why it bothered me even more. And also, I love her and want her to stay on the ship. <laughs> so let's talk about the storyline we've barely talked about. I guess you didn't like it. I liked it. Here's why I liked it. I liked the Navarre stuff because two reasons. One is, you know, I'm shipping hard on Saru yeah, I love and Charita. And, though, you know, and Michael's giving Saru those Wait. looks like a Mike- wink, wink, wink. Michael's making everyone in the room know what's going on. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Michael. I mean, it's funny because obviously, like, she grew up on Vulcan, so she doesn't have that background. At all. I mean, it, it was sort of funny because I was like, oh, my God. Like, if he wanted it to be a secret, it's not. Because yeah. Michael is, like, making things with her eyes and grinning and looking at one and looking at the other. I'm like, oh, worst best friend behavior. <laughs> yeah, she's not a good wingman. Let's put it that way. But yeah. <laughs> Tarina didn't exactly help. Because here they are, they're all around this big conference table, and Tarina has them bring Saru Kelpie and tea, like in front of everyone. So it's like, come on, Tarina, you could be more subtle than that, right? Do this little like nod, quick look, and Michael's like, ha ha ha, nudge nudge, wink wink. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was funny. It was funny. If it was in character, it was great. It was funny. But I was like, oh, I would have killed her. (laughs) I loved all that. And I like political intrigue. I like politics. Huge fan of the West Wing. And I found this is where I feel like that, you know, we could have lost five minutes of book building a sand sculpture and had a little more of the political intrigue because, you know, we have these factions, the the Romulans and the, the, the hardcore Vulcans and Apparently, some people in the Federation side, it seemed like the Saurian delegate or was the problem guy. They never say anything. Like, it would have been fun to hear these people talk and yes. kind of dive more into the politics. But we have the two powerful actresses um, playing the presidents, both playing these subtle games, essentially, of saying, I want, you know, I don't want to do this, but I have no choice because I'm representing you know, these factions and, and coalitions, which is how real politics works. So I I felt it was, it felt real and interesting. And um, there was kind of a reason why Michael and Saru were needed in this situation. And uh, Rillick had to maneuver the fake um, Vance's, we never even saw Vance. His stomach worm that has to gestate before extraction. (laughs) gross yeah that was fun Uh, i mean if you're gonna mention it have fun with it and i I was appreciated that yeah so no i i liked the whole thing i thought the production design was really very star trek 2009 i I really like the production design but i do not find politics interesting and i felt like the both the problem and the solution ended up being very boring like not big not a big deal really well, the solution was convoluted. It was that they're creating a committee um, and Michael could be part of it because she's a citizen. And it was a little, okay, I admit that part was, but again, this is because they're not giving this thing as much time as they should. But come on, you, you didn't even tear up when they did the flag ceremony? No, oh, come God, on. No, no. Oh, see, this is, this is me. I, I Maybe I'm just such a You're a politics f- guy. I'm not. 
Well, but it's it's Vulcan returning to the Federation. This is a big deal. This is, and I'm glad they didn't just do it in a passing montage. They they made this into a moment. I I um, guess I wanted it to be harder for them to get there than just. I'll talk to you and you talk to you and then we'll decide that the solution is more people should talk to more people. Like it just wasn't enough of a problem and therefore enough of a solution. So it didn't feel like a big deal when it happened. Okay. Sorry. I loved all the acting. I loved the performances. I loved the little moments I thought were terrific. I liked Michael saying to the president, I would like you to be more forthcoming. That is important to me. Um, and I loved all the production design. It was fantastic. But I just yeah. found the story itself kind of, I kept for, like when I watched it the first time, then I said, oh, what was the problem and the solution again? I don't remember. And I had to watch it again. Michael has, I mean, because she's kind of relegated to the B story here. She's she's in all of the stories because she's the captain. So she's, you know, she's hugging Tilly at the end. I know. I um, did like that you know. part. And she did recommend for Book to go on to his sea story. So she's involved in all the stories. But I, I, I think that her arc with the president in these first four episodes has fit together fairly well. Um, and it's cute how the president said how she's good at politics because she hates politics. Right. We, we did finally get a mention of the president being Cardassian human and mm-hmm. Bajoran, which we knew because – they, you know, the showrunner told us, but, yes. and, you know, you could look at her and see that there's something going on, but it was nice how they brought that history together and Saru brought together the history he has, because it must be weird for him to go back to um, Kaminar, because from his perspective, the Baul are just monsters, right? And, yeah. you know, where, well, you know, he, he walks he walks in the room and they're like hanging around with the baul and he's like, Ooh, you know, it, it must be freaky for him for everyone's all friendly. And even though he was part of bringing them all together, it still must be, which he admitted hard for him to deal with that. Yes. Well, especially he starts by talking about the culling of my family. So, which is pretty <laughs> brutal stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so when he's talking to a member of the baul, you know, like, Oh, what did you do when you were a kid? Well, before my brother was culled, culled. by your great grandfather, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know things were good. So yeah, that I thought I, I don't know. I just I I liked all of that, and I liked how it tied things together, and it it just felt very real. These characters were talking as they should. They weren't being forced into situations just to make the situations happen. It, it just felt organic for me. And we've seen political stuff on Star Trek. We seen, you know, we saw a lot of it on Deep Space Nine. All, all the Bajor politics. I, I, I dig that stuff. So, well, I think I found the Bajor politics more interesting because it was this, it was, it was a detailed look at at faith in a culture with politics in there, and and when you bring in the religion, it gets interesting. But this to me just, again, like, okay, we'll have a committee. Yay. And even though it actually is important, like the idea of having a committee that looks at all the member worlds was a good idea. It just, it just was, it just wasn't exciting to me. It wasn't that. So I, I want to go back to the, um, the other storyline because I have a couple questions for you. One is maybe this is just me reading into things, but do you feel that there was a message about the annoying kids about Generation Y maybe and how they're all unable to connect with people outside of, and maybe about all of our society. Cause they talk about how people can't connect outside of their 
comfort zones, outside of their silos. But that's what I mean by a checklist. Like, I feel like they wanted to make that point. And in a way, because, yeah, I mean, the burn meant that people couldn't travel great distances, but they they weren't in their rooms with the doors closed and they weren't quarantined. So they were still dealing with whoever happened to be on the whatever planet they were on. And a lot of these planets we know have more than one species on them. And they're still dealing with other people all the time. So that's why I thought, oh, they just want to say a thing about kids and COVID that doesn't actually quite fit the situation. I mean, they got a little bit of it by saying, oh, I've never met anyone from another species. I, I think it's bigger than COVID. I think it's about how even before COVID, people are living in their own bubbles of social media and are unable to even communicate with someone from, you know, another, not just demographics, but just point of view, you know, so getting back to politics. And I think, you know, you put a Democrat and Republican in a room together, they can't even talk to each other because they're just so in their own worlds. Um, I think there was a, a message there. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. The other thing I really liked the monster getting back to like, I I thought the Vulcan stuff was very influenced by the JJ Abrams movies, which, you know, I'm a fan of. And I think the, the monster was straight out of the, um, you know, it's, it's designed by the same guy. Oh yeah. (laughs) So it's all, you know, he's making an homage to himself, I guess. Sure. No, the monster was good. Yeah. Although why, I mean, this is, you know, why didn't you have 32nd century phasers? They must be, devastating and you must be able to turn them up to a level where you could slice through anything yet they had no impact on this thing so right like i wrote down they have no tech to deal with this creature like with all the tech they have and the things that they can miraculously just have in their hands because of programmable matter and all these things and it was weird that there was nothing that they had but you know they tried to i think coming up with the thing where you can't use any of your equipment they tried to make good use of that so at least they weren't firing at them the whole time or trying to work on a technical solution we got to see that quarry again that they always use (laughs) it's like they've got one location outside of toronto and they just love it yes (laughs) well there's um, there's some really good geography in ontario but they i think they made it look different enough this time that you kind of felt like they were on an ice planet and so yeah no, I thought all of that worked. Uh, all the production design and everything worked. But uh, it, it's also good that even though they have the AR wall, they're not. A, they still will go outside and do some location shooting when yeah. they need to. Let's talk about Kovic here, okay? Because we're big fans of David Cronenberg, and every time he shows up, it's a delight. But we used to obsess about. Oh, you know, who's Kovic? Is he the president of the Federation? Is he the head of Section 31? I'm now convinced they don't know who he is. They just bring him in to do whatever they want in any given episode. Now he's Dr. Kovic, by the way. Yes. Talking to Dr. Culber. So he's a medical doctor. He's a psychiatrist. He's a, or is he like Dr. Henry Kissinger with the glasses? And he's more like the, (laughs) um, who knows? And, but I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out who he is because I'm convinced they don't know. Yeah, They're just going to keep on using him in different ways to do different things when they want a guy to do a thing in the 32nd century. And he has, you know, he's a minister without portfolio. 
but he was a little too touchy-feely, I guess. Yeah, he was too touchy-feely for me. Like, I thought, oh, Tilly's going to talk to him. That should be an interesting conversation because their personalities, I don't think, will mesh that well. And then they, it was just all sweet and whatever. He even smiled. I mean, come on. Yeah. So it's just a little... I would have liked to have seen her sort of babbling to him and him standing there. Right. I mean, because if you, if you want to have a school dynamic with him, he could have been more John Hausman in the paper chasey, you know, hard ass. <laughs> I don't know how much our listeners are going to get that reference, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that we're old. OK, but the point is, is that he he just. Yeah, the, the, there was an opportunity for them to conflict more and her just babbling. I love at the beginning where she says. You know, oh, I was always the one raising my hand. It's like, no, duh, Tilly. Yeah. You don't even need to tell us that. We know, you know, who you were in high school and college. You know, we've all been there. So my least favorite Kovic of all his appearances <laughs> so far, you know, but Cronenberg's still great. We've touched on it before, but let's talk a little bit more about the book and Culber storyline, even though I think that there was too much of it. It was still, I thought... It was definitely well acted. Yeah, really strong emotional performances from both. Like the subtlety was only with them. It wasn't in the rest of the episode. But I thought that it was really effective. And I thought that the shifts as they started to connect, as they went from, you know, book was not connecting with him at all and then did. And the whole the whole uh, standing funeral story, I looked it up afterwards and that's a real thing and it's pretty fascinating. I thought it was good to base it in that, but then I thought all of their, and that kind of opened book up too, so that he can't even make a, you know, like a joke about, you know, I'm like, as long as I can keep my fingers or something like that. He says after Culver tells a story about his uncle's fingers snapping off. So I thought all that was really, really good, really well done and powerful and emotional. I didn't fully understand they're they're making a sand like so they were trying to recreate a ritual that Quajon a, a Quajon ritual with sand. Yes. But here's why I think it was important. Here's why I think they did that. Because book says something like we're healed by our planet. I need real sand for the planet, not this fake garbage basically he's saying. And he says, yeah. you think you're substituting my home for this rubbish? It'll never be the same. I think his necklace is still really important because it has elements from the planet. And that there's special healing properties within the planet. Yeah, that there's a, yeah, I, I did notice that, 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 that there's a, the way he said we're healed by our planet felt more than metaphorical. Yes. It felt, felt like they are literally healed by it. So one of my sort of bigger theories about this is that I that's a maybe Quajon is somehow in this anomaly where there's some connection to it still, but he has this piece of Quajon that something could happen because of it. I don't know. I'm not quite, I haven't fully formed it, but I feel like there's, there's a connection there. Well, they've made it fairly clear that Quajon was destroyed by, they've shown us multiple versions of it wiping the planet out. So it wasn't absorbed whole right. and they're all like li- living. Yeah. yeah. They're not in there somewhere, but maybe somehow that living matter is floating around in there and can right. do something. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, they, they really, the, as I was saying in the last podcast, the last couple that 
the anomaly is something they're just living with in the way people are living with COVID and they're going on to do other things. And they mention it every once in a while, but it is not the overwhelming thing that is dominating every episode. Do you think it's some kind of creature? No. No? I certainly hope that whatever it is, it has no will. That it is a truly natural phenomenon. I mean, if they are trying to get the pandemic as an allegory, then it has to be like that in that it's a natural phenomenon, but there are ways we can mitigate it or deal with it with science as opposed to it's a thing with a will. Or a thing like in the immune, in the immunity syndrome, where it's just a big amoeba. <laughs> yeah, I yeah no, I don't think it's yeah I don't think it's a big dumb animal either. You know, <laughs> so, or they could they could lure it out of the galaxy with right. food or whatever. Um, no, I don't think that's. Okay. I don't know what it is. Um, there's some crazy theories out there that people saying it's V'ger, and I don't know. I I don't. Think I don't it's, think it's V'ger. I don't think it's, yeah, there's speculation that it's like a proto-universe being created. There's the there's the holographic universe theory, um, which is super complicated, where it's a basically a projection on our universe of another universe or something, you know. So it's, I, it's probably going to be some kind of crazy out there science. Um, right. Looking at how they is, is solved the burn, it's like the burn is this child who screamed um it's going to be something <laughs> crazy and weird and you know we'll just decide whether it lands or not but I, i'm hoping it is some kind of crazy weird science theory that yeah. someone could point to and say yeah there's this you know guy at caltech and he came up with this crazy idea and that's what this thing is but they're not going to talk it down at the end there's not going to be you know michael's not going to have a conversation with the you know and, and they're going to convince it to leave yeah no i don't um, think so either <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at least i hope not right before we wrap it up enterprise came up the original enterprise from enterprise um was in the little snow globe thing that tilly gave to adira which is her we've talked about this before this opening arc of the season the first few episodes has been slowly but surely and now almost literally tilly handing the mm -hmm. torch to Adira to say, you are the scatterbrained but brilliant young scientist character on the Wait, show. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, socially awkward genius. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's, and here's your prize. <laughs> <laughs> With the title of the episode on it. Yeah. And of course, this is a second, because you know, we had the Archer station and they're dropping these Enterprise mm -hmm. references on the show. It almost makes you feel like, are they telegraphing something? Is this something coming? Is this, because the, the temporal Cold War was a big deal, obviously mentioned a few times in the last season and which preceded the burn. And that's all from Enterprise. So you never know. I, I am happy that they gave Michael and Tilly a scene together where they got to be emotional and and reminisce about being roomies and then talk about the snoring, which I would like to know this wonderful computer that can block out the snoring frequency. <laughs> I'm not buying the fact that she turned it off. I mean, like snoring is annoying. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, that would save a lot of relationships if you could do that. So 
obviously the big thing that people are talking about with this episode was the final scene, the exit of Tilly. Um, uh, I'm just going to start crying now. Tilly left? Yep. You, when you're watching the episode and, you know, this is a goodbye, a clear goodbye. She's leaving the ship. She's got her luggage. Off she goes. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen Star Trek exits before, and sometimes they're very short term. Some, you know, sometimes people come back. It, it's it's hard to tell, um, but this was built, you know, like she's leaving, and she definitely is leaving the USS Discovery. I think that's fairly clear. The question is, is she leaving Star Trek Discovery? Um, so there's been some post episode interview so paramount plus kind of you know knew this was coming and they set up a series of interviews uh and mary wiseman was on the ready room with will wheaton and did a handful of other media interviews and she talks about all sorts of things but whenever anyone asks her okay so are we going to see you again she's basically reading off an official statement a very very short official statement (laughs) which is yes that's it. That's all she's allowed to say. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Uh, she's allowed to say, and she says, I'm allowed to say that we will be seeing Tilly later in the season. So the season of Discovery. So it's not just that the character will be back because um, you could speculate about, well, maybe she'll be back in some other place. But no, she'll be back on Discovery, but later in the season. So she's definitely leaving for a while. What we don't know, and now we move into more speculation, is what does it mean coming back? So, you know, I sought clarification from CBS. They sent me the same thing. Mary will be back later in this, like word for word. So this is the company line. (laughs) She'll be back later in the season, period. But is it back as a guest star, back as a full star? of the show back as a recurring character. That's, you know, the answer to those is, I don't know. Right. And they're not saying. And, um, so how do you see her coming back? I mean, I have some thoughts. She'll be coming back as a teacher of Starfleet Academy. I think that's fairly clear. And in one interview, she did say she'll have a different haircut and a different outfit. So yeah, she's not coming back as a crew member of the USS discovery, at least, in season four of Star Trek Discovery. So it'll be, uh, I imagine more than one episode, she'll be back and because there'll be something to do with the Academy as we get close to the season finale. Perhaps That's what I think. I think there'll be some big moment of crisis and all of a sudden the Academy is essential to its solution or gets stuck in the middle of it somehow, or something happens where she comes in with, I'm going to guess some cadets and saves the day. Yeah, I I want her to have a big hero moment because it's going to be very hard for me to imagine watching episodes of Discovery without her in them. Then we move into kind of the bigger question of what does this mean, you know, and what is the future of the character? I mean, I don't think this is a even though they literally you know handed the snow globe torch to <laughs> Adira, this isn't a case where they're replacing one character with another one actress. Um, with another actor, you know, you know, like on Voyager, 
you know, Mary's, you know, she was not a trade is what you're saying. Right. I mean, she was part of the publicity blitz back, you know, at the junket. She's doing a new publicity blitz. You don't do that if you're being removed from a show. So, so either she decided for personal reasons or professional reasons that she needed a break or needed to leave the show and just become a recurring character or, and this is where the speculation hat goes on. They're setting her up for something else. Which I think is obvious to me that if that is the case, if they're setting up for something else, it's to be in the new Starfleet Academy show that they, we keep hearing them sort of talk about, not in great detail, but in enough for us to know that there's a plan. And going back to what I was saying earlier, one of the reasons they bought back the rights from Netflix internationally, I believe, is because they wanted spinoff rights. So if they are going to do an Academy spinoff of Discovery, as opposed to just, they could just do an Academy show set whenever, and it wouldn't be related to Discovery. But if they want it with this character, it would count as a spinoff. You know, and Alex Kurtzman has said in a couple interviews, he's mentioned this show. So because they talked about the show way back in um, 2017, I think, you know, when they were first talking about, this is before Picard was announced, and this was one of the early speculation shows and the people who did the OC were were involved. It's my understanding they are no longer involved. They're not working on shows for Apple, but that there's something, some new idea that's been percolating behind the scenes. Yeah, I think they shifted gears on what they wanted that show to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it's still very much under consideration. And if they do it, this to me is a pretty smart way to do it, which is to take a character that people love and and let her star in it but i can i as i said i cannot imagine discovery without her i love all of her scenes and she often is the the character who sort of brings in the relief brings in the moment the the emotional moment for you like a bit of an anchor certainly adira replaces tilly season one in that kind of you know genius awkward youngster but in no way, Adira is a different character, an interesting character, but they don't have that fun and humor, you know, and, right. and Blue DeBario is a good actor, but they don't have the comedy chops of Mary Wiseman. Yeah. Um, at least I haven't seen that yet. She's really carried a lot of the comedy for the show. And we've seen this up in, including this episode and, yeah, that's going to be. I like the comedy in my Star Trek. You know, Tig Notaro is going to show up, as we've been saying a little bit. That's always fun, but it's a different kind of comedy, though. Like Tig's comedy, which I also enjoy, is is you know quippy, snappy one-liners, zingers, as they used right. to say back in the olden days. But with Tilly, it's different, and it's it's sort of a deeper, richer, more emotionally based comedy, and I love every scene pretty much every scene that she's in i remember when this show was first announced way back when and they were announcing various cast members and i heard you know they said oh you know we're bringing on this actress that i'd never heard of she's very young she's going to be playing a cadet i thought tilly was going to be a minor character and she's been such a delight and surprise and such a big part of this show 
that it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna leave a hole in the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's just no way around it. It's fun to speculate on where the character will go, but Star Trek Discovery is going to continue in, at least for season four, and it sounds like for most of the rest of the season there you know there's going to be a tilly shaped hole, and uh, it's going to be hard to fill. Yeah, I mean, she did, Tilly did say, oh, you'll see me around HQ, you know, to Michael. But I don't think, it's it's not like we're going to run into her every episode. Hey, how's it going over there at the Academy? So, yeah, it is, it's going to leave a big, a big gap. But it's fun to speculate about this Academy show. There is fresh ground in the 32nd century. Hopefully the cadets are slightly less annoying than the ones in this episode. Yes. If such I'm, a sh- series exists. that they're Less annoying, more interesting would be very helpful. Yeah. I also okay. am hoping, I, you know, if I was working at CBS, Viacom, Paramount right now, I would be working on my Best of Tilly package. So I hope that somebody's producing something that will give us a, a beautiful uh, overview of Tilly's ride on Discovery. Oh, well, I have a gift for you. Such a package exists. It's on the ready room. So I think you watched the Will Wheaton interview, which was very emotional, actually. Yeah. So- I oh, Wow. I Actually, there's something I wanted to say about that interview while we're talking about it for a second, which is it was very, very moving and I I definitely was emotionally hooked by it. But if there's anyone who's interested in hearing about Will Wheaton's experience, he really described it on a podcast he was on with Macaulay Culkin, who has a somewhat similar tale to tell. So we'll put up a link to that for people who want to know more about Will Wheaton and his situation with his parents. He was really affected by the moment when Tilly talks about her mom and how she was kind of on the captain's track as a way to be seen by her mom. And that just profoundly impacted Will because that was how he felt as a young child actor. Yeah. The point I was making actually was uh, the ready room, either before the interview or after the interview had a fun little, you know, here's some great moments with Tilly, mostly laugh stuff, but uh, it was good. All right. I'm going to check that out then. I think that pretty much wraps up the episode for us, yeah? Okay, so let's talk about our bits of the week. I'm going to start off. It's another thing from YouTube. Yes, it's not funny. Okay, but... uh, (laughs) But it is. COVID's not funny. People getting sick is not funny. But we all had the same thought over Thanksgiving weekend when we heard about the Omicron variant. (laughs) A lot of people, a lot of Star Trek fans, I made this joke at Thanksgiving dinner. So this sounds like something from Star Trek. So some Mark Farinas, who is a talented guy, put together a video showing every time the word Omicron has existed in Star Trek. Omicron. 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 But it is it is funny because all the people who don't watch Star Trek were like, how do you say this word? And all of us who watch Star Trek have chosen our way of saying it because we've heard it a million times. It's not a new word for us. What's your bit of the week? Mine is also from YouTube. 
So, I mean, for years I've been seeing this fun Christmas video that someone edited that was Picard doing Let It Snow, where they, you know, they grab a little word from each sentence and build this thing. So someone did a couple of years ago, but this is the first time I've seen it, from Voyager, Tuvok, the vessel's Vulcan, which is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And it's just hilarious. Like Tuvok, the vessel's Vulcan, had a Vulcan game, Calto. And if you ever saw it, you would even see it glow. But it's word for, you know, one word at a time from each member of the Voyager cast. There's fun stuff with Janeway finding coffee in the nebula. It's just very short, super cute, fun Christmas edit. So we'll share that with you guys. Gave me a laugh. Anything to give us a little holiday cheer. Like all the Star Trek ornaments on my Christmas tree. <laughs> so there you have it. It's yet another episode of All Access Star Trek. We're now four episodes, so we're one-third of the way through, roughly, mm -hmm. season four. We'll be back next Friday for episode five, because we're here every Friday with All Access Star Trek. See you next week. <laughs>